And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. And here we are. Thank you for joining us tonight, folks, for this edition of The Bible Live. I hope that you'll give us a call and uh, join with me tonight on the air. Our phone number is 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. And for the next 90 minutes, we're going to be talking about all things biblical. We have uh, read, we are reading every year through the entire Bible. Uh, since the year 2000, actually, 2001, we actually, is when we began, and we've been reading through the Bible, and you can join with us by going to thebiblelive.com. Thebiblelive.com, there you'll find our podcast, just click on podcast, go down, find our readings. Uh, right now, we are reading through the books of First and Second Chronicles, and so we'll finish up the books of Second Chronicles this evening. This week, this past week, we finished up... Uh, the book of Second Chronicles, and next week, starting uh, tomorrow evening, Monday through Friday, we'll be reading through the book of Romans in the New Testament. Genesis, uh, Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all through the Old Testament, all the way up now to First and Second Chronicles. And then in the New Testament, we've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and now we'll be reading the book, uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. A really remarkable book, uh, the book of Romans. Uh, probably one of the most complete presentations of the, the, let me see how I can say this to you, the gospel message, uh, the most updated. In other words, uh, taking from the time now, uh, the the Hebrew scriptures, uh, the Old Testament, all the way through the history of of. Um, Israel, we're following that along, uh, and, and we see the Messiah is being predicted. The Messiah is being um, pictured ahead of time. He's being uh, 
we're being told what he is going to be like and uh, where some of the things he would do, some of the characteristics of his life and his ministry. Uh, over 300 predictions and prophecies, about 60 or 65 major, but over 300 predictions and references to this Messiah, this Savior, that God had promised absolutely from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the verse, the first uh, verbal prediction of the Messiah uh, there in the Garden of Eden after the fall of when Adam and Eve fell into sin and the human race came under the judgment of God there in the book of Genesis. Right away we see this prediction of a Messiah, one who would come and undo the work of Satan uh, and and bring allow men and women who want, who desire a relationship with God, to know him, love him, to follow him, to be the people of God, to allow us. Uh, there was going to be a Redeemer, a Savior, who would make the way for us to do that. You see, it wasn't just a matter of God uh, up there in heaven going, oh, I'll let you in, I'll let you in. Uh, you know, it wasn't arbitrary. <clears throat> There are two characteristics, there are two attributes of the God of the Bible that that were at work in the redemptive plan primarily. One was his great love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, but there was a, there's a contrary. There was, a, there was an attribute of God that uh, to some degree was in conflict, conflict with God's love, and that was his justice, his holiness. Um, he is perfectly holy and just in all of his ways, and uh, the wages of sin is death. Uh, the soul that sins, it shall die. That without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In other words, uh, sin had a penalty. It had a consequence, and God, and God couldn't just willy-nilly go, oh, I'm just arbitrarily going to forgive a bunch of people and, and not the other group. There was, uh, there was a work of redemption. There was a work of of salvation that God had to bring about a, um, uh, what would you call a, a, a peace, a treaty between his justice and his love. And that's what we find that the culmination, the perfect expression of God's justice and the perfect expression of his love carried out in the life, the death, uh, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. A perfect expression of God's love and forgiveness, perfect expression of His justice, and that His His judgment, the the wages of our sin were were poured out. Sin did have its consequence because Jesus, He who knew no sin, became sin for us. So we see that happening all through the Old Testament. Now we get to the book of Romans in the New Testament, and Paul is going to spell it out in a clearer way than perhaps any. Uh, well, anyone had up to that time. Now, Paul uh, is equipped theologically, intellectually, uh, now spiritually, as he has become part of the people of God through his faith and trust uh, in Jesus the Messiah. And the presence of the Holy Spirit working in him and through his life, now Paul lays it out for us and explains to us uh, what... Uh, not a new salvation, not a new plan, not a new redemption. It's the same redemptive plan that God had from the beginning. But now it had taken a giant step forward in that the Messiah was no longer predicted, no longer someone that we were waiting for. The Messiah had now come and had finished 
his particular role in the redemptive plan of God as the Savior, the perfect man of faith who uh, lived a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience, submission to the Father, then he who knew no sin voluntarily gave his life in taking the penalty of our sin upon himself. So that now in Christ, as we are forgiven in him, we become part of a new creation, our new human race, the race of the redeemed. Jesus the Messiah is the firstborn of the twiceborn in his role as, as the, in his role as that perfect man, the last Adam. He did what Adam was unable to do. He saw all the way to the finish a uh, perfect life of obedience and trust in God and then took our penalty upon himself. So that now when we come into our faith in Christ, we too become part of the new race of the redeemed. Jesus is the firstborn of the twiceborn, and now we are part of just as we are all biologically, physically of the race of Adam. And in Adam, as Paul writes in Romans, all die, and sin came into the human race, and through sin, death. Now in Christ, a new race, we we are a new creation, and we are a part of a new race of the redeemed. And uh, we are... It's the blood... It's the life of Christ, the life of Jesus the Messiah now... It, that lives and flows through our spiritual veins. Yes, Adam and Eve, we, biologically, we're still tied to the race of Adam and Eve and, and consequences of their life, but now we have our new, uh, a, a new DNA. We have a, a, a spiritual DNA now that is traceable to Jesus himself, the Messiah. He is now, and we are in him, in Christ. All that is true of him now as the, as the last Adam is now true of us. So we'll look at all of that. It's going to be exciting this coming week, starting um, Monday, tomorrow evening. We'll start at Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll make our way all this coming week through the book of Romans. And then we'll be coming back to pick up at Ezra and Nehemiah uh, back here in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. So that's where we're going. And you can go there, thebiblelive.com, to click on the podcast, podcast, and you can listen each day to a 15- to 20-minute reading from the Scriptures, the entire Bible, every year. If you'll join us this week and join with us regularly, make that a regular part of your day on your smartphone, your computer, wherever you are, go to the podcast and listen to that 15- to 20-minute reading every weekday. This time next year, in 2021, you will have... You will have read, we will have read together the entire Bible uh, all the way around the horn, and we'll be ready to start again through the Scriptures. So I hope that you'll do that. Join us there for the Bible live reading. Now, you can also find the podcast here at am630theword.com, am630theword.com, and just go to the podcast, go down through the uh, list of, of radio programs here, on KSLR, this radio station, and you'll find the Bible live. Click on the podcast there. Not the Sunday night show. That's what we're doing right here. You can also uh, go and listen to that program again, but also you can pick up the Bible reading programs and uh, stay. follow the readings at am630theword.com. Both of those are good sites for you to go and just make your way through the Bible with us. I invite you. I encourage you. I implore. I beg. I plead. Come join us. Let's go through the entire Bible. You know you've been wanting to do it for a long time. 
I've got to read the Bible. I want to read the whole Bible. Well, I'll help you out. I'll read the Bible to you. We'll read it through together uh, every year, and you will be so glad you did. It's uh, There's nothing like this. Is uh, What this program is de- dedicated to in reality is it's not so much, as we said many times, it's not so much a program about the Bible. Uh, it's a, the Bible itself. We want you to hear every word, every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, and and uh, hear it for yourself, and form your own decision then about its uh, who, its authorship and and its wisdom and so on. Uh, hear the great book of books yourself here on the Bible Live. Well, this past week we read Second Chronicles chapters nineteen through the end, chapter thirty six, and so we've been making our way through this uh, the books of First and Second Chronicles, and we can uh, talk about that tonight. Uh, we've we've covered it pretty well in the sense that I hope most of you now know that the books of First and Second Chronicles were at one time one book written together, one history. It was uh, divided into the two first and second at the time of the translation from Hebrew into the Greek, the Septuagint, uh, and then it's written by Ezra. A scribe uh, of an expert in the law, the laws of God, the books of the law in the Old Testament. Ezra now is as with thousands and thousands of uh, the Jewish people that had been taken out of Israel in uh, somewhere between uh, 605 B, uh, 605 BC and 586 BC. In those years. In that period of time, about twenty year period, there were three or four different times that that Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, came and took away uh, thousands of people out of Israel, took them over into Babylon, uh, including the the those of royal lineage and the the house of David and so on. And you know about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and and others that went. Well, they went uh, over and and Ezekiel, the great prophet Ezekiel preached and predict, predicted and prophesied from over in Babylon, while Jeremiah was over pre- preaching and predicting and prophesying over in Israel, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. So uh, they were there for 70 years, from 586 B.C. to 515 B.C., uh, when the, that, during that time, is when uh, Cyrus, as had been predicted and prophesied many a uh, uh, hundred or more years before, he had it had been predicted that one named Cyrus would be the one who would allow them. A ruler named Cyrus would allow people of Israel to return to the uh, land of Canaan, the, to the land of Israel, and that's exactly what happened. Cyrus does that. Uh, uh, of the Persians, king of the Persians, and then uh, they, they went back. They rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem under Nehemiah's leadership. Ezra uh, helped superintend in the the rebuilding of the altar and the temple there in is in Jerusalem as well. So that's uh, from 586 to 515. That's the 70 years um, that is used uh, that was predicted. The 70 years of exile. And back in from the destruction of the temple to the rebuilding of the temple, the altar there in Jerusalem. So that's where we are. And now in the books of First and Second Chronicles, as we've said for the last couple of weeks, because we've been in these uh, these 
these books of history chronicles for these couple of weeks. Uh, this is a selected history that Ezra is put together, relying on the books of Samuel, the books of the kings also, and other books that he cites in in the book. Uh, he found certain information in, in other sources, but he put together this is a selected history. Uh, intended to remind the people who had returned now from Babylon, these uh, exiles who had four to five, four to six thousand, four to six thousand of them who had returned. At, he's reminding them of who they are, uh, of their legacy, of their heritage, of their calling, uh, of their covenant with their God. And so Ezra is... It's a selected history. It begins with David, and he follows the kings, not of uh, not the kings of the north, the kings of Israel, but he follows the kings of Judah in the south, and uh, he follows their history, and just so to remind the people who are returning now of who they are, of their history, of their God, of the covenant relationship with their God, and of the laws of their God. Uh, and, and what God had done to preserve them, protect them, keep them, and reminding them of their covenant role to obey and follow God's laws and follow after him. Uh, and to be a representative of God to other people groups, the other lands, the other peoples that they meet. Uh, this, is not a, this is not a racial or ethnic a thing at all, and that's very important to lay that out, and perhaps even now, more important. It's a good time for us to make that point again here with our, in our time here in the 21st century. Uh, so much is being made about racism. Uh, everybody's worried who's a racist and who's not a racist, and what is a racist, and and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, do uh, wh- whose life matters? Do black lives matter? Do red lives matter? Do yellow lives matter? Uh, do white lives matter? You know that we're all into this this process right now across uh, America, or, and even to some degree, we see it reflected in uh, around the particular the Western uh, civilization into Europe and so on. But right here on our own nation, we're having this huge uproar, this huge discussion about racism and about systemic racism and that sort of thing. And so it's a good time for us to look to the Bible, look to God's Word. What does God's Word say about race and racism? And what does God's Word say about um, different people groups? Uh, The Bible is very, very clear about it. Uh, and, And it's not just... It's not infantile either. It's very mature in understanding about it. It's not a, it's not a real shallow point of view. The Bible is very clear about the role of people groups and different people, different languages, different cultures, different societies, uh, and even dif- different ethnicities. Uh, that's what the word ethnic means. Actually, is people group. Uh, so that was God's design from the beginning. We see in the uh, Book of Genesis. We've made that point many times that that God's intent immediately following the fall of mankind into sin, when the sin when the the principle of selfishness and sin had gotten its hold on the human race, one of the first things God did is tell the people that He wants them to spread out and multiply. He wants them to diversify. 
God's intent would there would be different people groups, people who live in the mountains, people who lives on the on the beaches and on the islands and on the prairies and all these different uh, people groups, different foods, different cultures, different societies, different clothing, different practices, and even now when you get into Genesis eleven, God pretty much had to force the issue with the Tower of Babel forcing the people to divide into these different competing people groups so that the human race would survive. It would not go once more to uh, uh, you know, one single race of people walking in lockstep together to judgment and to, you know, to auto-destruction, to de- becoming destructive of themselves again, as it was in the time of Noah. God wanted there to be a diversity of races and people groups and languages so that now, although there may be wars and battles between these competing uh, interest groups, defeating uh, war between the different people groups, there would not be uh, the whole race would not walk in lockstep uh, against God, against God's laws, and walk into total destruction and judgment as they did in the time of Noah. So uh, we see uh, there is a place and role for people, groups, and societies, uh, without a doubt. And it was placed here in some measure because of the fact that it was a measure of grace. It was a mitigating factor. It was um, it was there to slow and to to lessen the power and impact of the sin nature in humanity so that the human race could continue forward and grow. And now, we what are we now? Seven billion people on the planet. Uh, and we have lasted all of these centuries now. There have been wars. They've come and gone. Uh, but, but the whole human race has not walked. Whenever there has risen up a Stalin uh, over Russia, a dictator who wants to rule the world, well, there rises up a Hitler in Germany. The, and they... they uh, compete and, and battle with each other. And, of course, in, in North America, and Americans got in and Japanese got involved. In other words, there would be these um, battles between nations, large and small, but there was not an incident where the whole human race as a whole marches into judgment and destruction. So that's that's part of the basis of our the biblical understanding of race and people groups. There is a place for that. There's nothing more natural then for Native Americans, I'm, I'm full-blooded, full-blooded Mescalero Apache from the reservation down in southern New Mexico. There's nothing more natural than for people to like to be with people of, uh, uh, of their own language, of their own culture, of their own society, uh, know the same foods, know the same basic life experience, and, and share things in common as a, as a culture group. There's nothing more natural than for people to draw together into their natural groupings. And it's not always ethnic. It's not always uh, uh, skin color. It's not always food. It's, it's more, more, more than anything else. There's a lot of it is cultural. We're comfortable with, the, with language. We're comfortable. We know the same foods. We know each other's uh, uh, responses and reactions, our, our particular cultural cues, uh, our gestures, our terminology, and so on, language. All of those things, it's, it's, it's nothing more natural than for people to pull together and draw together in family groups, in people groups, and uh, societal and cultural groups. So, um, and there is nothing in and of itself wrong with that. That's very natural. On the other hand, there, there can there is nothing perhaps more evil than to judge people purely on the basis of skin color 
or purely on the basis of their distinctions. Uh, as, as we've understood from um, the um, Martin Luther King, there, there is the ideal is to be judged. If we're to be judged and understood by other people, it will be on the basis of our, of our character, of the way we treat others, of our of our kindness, our goodness, our generosity, and so on. The the content of our character that should be the way that we view and understand uh, racism in and of itself. Maybe I should throw that out there, John. You know, we use the word so much. Racism, you're racist, you're a racist, he's a racist, he's a racist. What what does it mean to be a racist? I'd like to hear from you tonight. If you uh, uh, have a thought about that, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're one who knows God's Word. What what do you think, uh, What what is racism? If you're biblically informed, what does it mean when we say that somebody is racist? Um, I'd, I'd love to hear some of you, some of you who know God's word, know the scriptures, know the Lord. Uh, how do you view this this great theme of our times? Obviously, during the American experience uh, in this continent and in North America, we've uh, it's been a um, it's been a it's been a difficulty. It certainly has uh, in our culture in our in our history of North America, the United States. We've had to struggle with it, and we have, and we've made great great progress. No doubt about it. But here we are at another um, time having to think about racism and what it is and what it means. And and uh, I'd like to get some of you to give me a call. 210-340-9585. That's our phone number. And I'd like to, for you to let's talk a little bit about race and the place of race, racism, what it is and what we as God's people, those of us who know the Lord, love the Lord, what what. How should we be different when it comes to these discussions? All right? Love to hear from you. Don't go away now. The Bible Live will return in just a couple of minutes. Don't go away. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Thanks for joining us for today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. Our reading titled, Truly Humble, Truly Great was written by Wynn Collier. As the American Revolution concluded with England's improbable surrender, many politicians and military leaders maneuvered to make General George Washington a new monarch. The world watched, wondering if Washington would stick to his ideals of freedom and liberty when absolute power was within his grasp. England's King George III saw another reality, however, He was convinced that if Washington resisted the power pull and returned to his Virginia farm, he would be the greatest man in the world. The king knew that the greatness evidenced in resisting the allure to power is a sign of true nobility and significance. Paul knew this same truth and encouraged us to follow Christ's humble way. Even though Jesus was, in very nature, God, He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he surrendered his power, 
became a servant and humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. The one who held all power surrendered every bit of it for the sake of love. And yet, in the ultimate reversal, God exalted Christ from a criminal's cross to the highest place. Jesus, who could demand our praise or force us to be obedient, laid down his power in a breathtaking act that won our worship and devotion. Through absolute humility, Jesus demonstrated true greatness, turning the world upside down. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Hi, I'm Jim Daly with Focus on the Family. Author Brene Brown says that too many of us practice tragedy. In other words, we think anticipating the worst will ease our suffering if it happens. But the truth is, worry never lessens our future pain. It only steals our joy right now, in this moment. The antidote to tragedy is to practice gratitude. Count the many blessings you have in life and choose to thank God for them. Remember, together we'll get through this. I'm Jonathan McKee, and you're listening to Plugged In. He said that wherever I went, he would find me. Walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. In The Invisible Man, which is now out on video, Cecilia Cass is a woman who's haunted by an ex she can't seem to escape. Literally. You see, everyone thinks that the brilliant, handsome scientist took his own life. But strange events suggest that he's still alive and hunting Cecilia. Invisibly. Of course, no one believes her. Fans of H.G. Wells' original story may be disappointed by this R-rated version of it. Harsh profanity and slashing violence pushed this classic thriller solidly into horror movie territory. So we're giving The Invisible Man a one and a half out of five for family friendliness. Before you stream or buy, visit PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Jonathan McKee for Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. All things This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Alright, we are back. Ready for a good, serious, biblical discussion tonight of some of the great issues of our times and some of the uh, great issues of the Scripture. We want to talk a little bit about uh, this idea of racism and whose life matters and and uh, how why our lives matter and what are the great issues of race and ethnicity and so on in the Scriptures. Now, if you'd like to give us a thought, maybe you're a, a one who loves the Lord and knows God's Word, and maybe you could give us a little bit of help tonight. It might be good to 
kind of get your working definition of racist or racism. What is racism? Um, wouldn't mind at all hearing from you. You can give us a call, 210 340 340-9585. And it's not in particular, it's not totally irrelevant to our passage in any way uh, in the books of Second Chronicles because uh, th- this is this is all about people groups. Uh, the people of Israel are a they're not a race as such. Um, Abraham was from the land Ur of the Chaldeans. He uh, he was not a distinct racial people group himself. His his wife was not his. Uh, as he moved through his life, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there were a number of folks that came from different um, people group, different nationalities. I remember remember that um, Abraham himself uh, had a, uh, a um, chief servant that was going to uh, th- that was going to be his heir. and he was not uh, of that lineage of that people group. He was I, I, I've forgotten. Maybe, maybe Egyptian. Maybe uh, no, no, no. no. I, I know. I think he was Aramean, but it, but it wasn't of that of that same ethnicity, of that same people group as Abraham himself. And but he was a believer. That is the thing that we see in the scriptures. So much of the we use the word Israel, we we the people of God, and so on. And to the degree that somehow people have come to think of being a Jewish or Judaism as a race. They're not a race of people by any stretch. They're, they're an ethnicity. They're a people group, without a doubt, but they're not a race, a racial group in and of themselves. And even there, all through the history of Israel, there are men and women f- from different people groups all around. Uh, there was uh, Ruth the Moabitess. There's Rahab, the the uh, the lady from... Uh, from um, Oh, the great battle. Uh, the, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Jericho, there you go. i got to get the song in my mind to remember it. But you got Rahab, you've got uh, Ruth, you've got others. All through the scriptures, there are many, many who are are not from specifically the people group. That wasn't the, that wasn't the important thing. Uh, the important thing in Judaism, in, in the Hebrew scriptures there, was the, the relationship to God. Uh, they, they, it wasn't a people. Oh, you don't marry anybody who's not Jewish. That not in the in the uh, in the ethnic or racial sense. It was about marrying and being one in that uh, t- uniquely tied together in that deep way of marriage and home and family with those who did not love God, who weren't serving God. That's how Solomon was warned in, in the, not to marry. Uh, outside the faith, it wasn't a matter of ethnicity so much as being marrying someone uh, who, if you're going to share life and, and and throw your destinies together, share with someone who has that same worldview, that loves God, that serves God, and so on. That if not, you're just asking for problems and difficulties, just like Solomon himself faced. And we see that uh, in the book of Chronicles as well. We see that... Uh, now, we'll see in the life in the times of Ezra and Nehemiah they one of the real problems they had was that people were intermarrying with people outside of the faith it had not it was not so much ethnic or racial it was a question of marrying with those with whom we worship the same God together 
Uh, if not, you're just asking for problems in your marriage, no doubt about it. So if you want stability in, in marriage and in homes and families and society, then there, that you seek that oneness and that, uh, that commonality of heart uh, toward God. So uh, that's all a part. It's, it's written. It, it's in the book. Uh, it talks about ethnicities. It talks about people groups. And yet I think somehow or other we've, um, we tend to oversimplify it uh, in some ways and overcomplicate it in other ways in our culture and society today. But my question goes out to you tonight in the midst of all of this talk and all of that's going on in our own country about race and racism and being racist and what it is. Uh, I, I would love for some of you to give me a call and tell me how how do you see it? How do you deal with it? Maybe some of our uh, pastors from our uh, Hispanic pastors, black pastors, uh, uh, other uh, minority groups. Well, minority, not in San Antonio, right? 65% brown skin, 65% Hispanic. Uh, so we've got a very unique situation in this great city of San Antonio. Uh, owing to that, the uh, high presence of the Hispanic culture and, of course, the military, the military presence in our city, Military City USA. Of course, the military is a great equalizer in that sense as well in ethnicity. So uh, uh, it it helps and and our particular city to be in some ways, in some ways, a model, I think, of of ethnic uh, racial harmony and oneness. Uh, I, I went to a prayer gathering this past week on Wednesday evening. A number of the pastors got together uh, uh, and called for the believers. A very kind of a last-minute situation. It wasn't. It wasn't like they had two weeks to plan it. I think it was about a day and a day and a half to pull it together and say, "Hey, let's let's pull together and pray. We need to pray for our nation and pray for forgiveness and for God's power to, to us, is so that we can be a good model of a racial harmony and mutual respect." Uh, and and uh, so the, I would say. I, I haven't heard anyone give an official count. I think um, conservatively, uh, conservatively, I would say at least fifteen hundred to two thousand came together down at uh, Travis Park, and we spent an hour and a half praising God, worshiping our God, and praying for our nation, praying for our city and our churches and our leaders, for wisdom and for the love to prevail among us as God's people. That there would be a oneness and a harmony among us, red, yellow, black, and white. Uh, we're all precious in his sight. And that, oh, it was a wonderful time, folks. If you didn't get down there, you missed a, a remarkable gathering of God's people from our community. Uh, it really was a beautiful, beautiful time of prayer. And uh, if, if you did, maybe you could give us a call and give us a little bit of your view of that evening, of what, what happened on Wednesday evening as we met together to pray, to worship and to ask God's uh, forgiveness and ask God's wisdom. You know, one of the phrases I came away with myself was that we, we should be salty salt and uh, in, uh, let our salt be salty and let our light be enlightening, right? Uh, you know, sometimes I'm afraid we generate more heat than we do light in our the way we converse and, and communicate. But it was a great, great evening there on Wednesday. Let me go to our phones and pick up our first caller tonight and maybe talk a little bit about this subject if that's what's on your mind. Harold, thanks for calling in. I'm glad to hear from you. Oh, you're welcome, 
Sophie Dollar. Yes, it is on my mind. Uh, I've talked to my mother this evening, and she's too old to hear everything. And my sister Barbara, she's tired of stuff going on in the city. And and um, there is part of the problem, I think, with things is, uh, well, it's not a bad thing, but people, when something goes wrong, they did something wrong. They want to ask God for forgiveness right then and there. But Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 21 to 24, uh-huh. I'll read uh, 524. Um, it says, leave your sacrifices there at the altar. This is what Jesus says. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm saying, don't ask me for forgiveness. Go and yet. Go and be, go and be reconciled to that person. Yes. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. In other words, then I'll hear your, then I'll forgive you, because you, because you can't leave out the people you hurt. Uh, you know, just going straight to God. And honestly, if you start out with five uh, Matthew chapter five verse twenty one, uh-huh. Jesus starts out right away. You have heard that our ancestors ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. And it goes on, but I say unto you, even even anger with someone, you are subject to judgment. Mm -hmm. So apparently the illustration is um, go one step further, Jesus is saying, Go to that person first that you've offended or you didn't have a good day with. Mm -hmm. Talk to them. Then ask God for forgiveness. And it sounds very, well, Jesus said himself, old-fashioned, the ancestors, you know, and I'm sure it goes back to, I'm sure it goes back to the Old Testament somewhere. But that's basically all I wanted to discuss tonight. Um, That's a... That's an earful, I guess. Oh, it's good. It's, so, it's very good. I, I, Matthew chapter 5, it says, after you talk uh, that section about uh, if you're angry with someone. And so 21. On, if you are presenting, mm-hmm. then he says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God, and and uh, I think it's a very important point, Harold. No doubt about it. Is that yeah? Because you leave the person they're yeah, wounded. Exactly. You, you leave the person hurting, and you just talk to God, and all everything's great. It may be great, but what good does it do to that person? Yeah, our relationship. I guess you can God, tell I'm upset a little bit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't no, need to our, be upset, our relationship but. with God and our relationship with other people; those are not uh, those are not totally separate relationships. They're related to one another. Uh, if yeah. You, if well, like you, I said. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Very yeah, well, excellent. Well, that's all. But you know, it's in the New Testament. It, Jesus Christ said it, and someone's going to have to deal with it. And you know, I'll start with myself when I get back to work tomorrow. <laughs> so I'll, I'll listen to the rest of the show. Okay. You betcha, my friend. So glad to hear uh, from you. Thank you for calling in. You can give us a call as well. Two ten three four zero. 9585, very interesting point there from the teachings of Jesus there in Matthew chapter 5, and the idea that relationships with people are not divorced from our relationship with God, that if, if, if we're at the altar, we're trying to get all spiritual with God, but 
we've got something against a neighbor or, or someone's brother or someone has something against us. There's some, there's some conflict in our relationships. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. A great principle there for us. It, it's interesting, too, that it comes down to one-on-one. I mean, you know, it's I've got a different circle of friendships and relationships. I've got a different set of neighbors than you have. And, uh, you know, I, I have to react and relate to the people around me and my world, uh, you and yours, and some of the folks that, that I deal with are, are um, you know, I don't really know that many other Native Americans in, in, uh, in my circle. Uh, a few, for sure, but we're not that numerous, of course. But I know lots of folks in our neighborhood and neighbors that uh, we are red, yellow, black, and white, and polka dotted, it, it, like a lot of American communities and neighborhoods. And for us to get respect each other and care about each other and help each other, uh, my one of my neighbors grew ill this last uh, oh, month or two, and now she's having to move. I think they're moving their family to another city, and so the other family members came down, and so all this week I've been making myself available to them to help them as they move out their their uh, uh, the grandmom's uh, furniture and her possessions and so on. So we've been helping with the yard and the fence and the details and trying to be a good neighbor. Well, that's that that's kind of what we're talking about. We all have people around us. Uh, and, and they may be skin color. They may have a different go to a different congregation or church, or they may work at a different place. They may have a they may be a different class. They may be a, you know blue collar. You know we're white collar or the other way around. So there's a lot of things that that could could come into this idea of 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 kind of racism or the way we treat other people. And they're not—they're not totally uh, illegitimate. The race and races. There are races, and there are there are different people groups, and there are different classes. Uh, that's a reality, and it's not necessarily bad or good. Evidently, I mean, we we but we the way we treat people uh, that are different from ourselves, me and mine. Uh, they may be up and outers, and they may be down and outers. You know, but can I treat them with love and respect? And can I um, can I share life with them and be friendly and helpful and loving to them in the name of the Lord as a believer? Uh, all of these things. I I'm still wanting. I I didn't ask uh, Harold the question, but I'll, uh, I'm asking you tonight to be able to give me your idea of what is racism. Now this is being bandied about quite a bit. Uh, on the television and the newscasts of different kinds, and and uh, people are, you know, it's been graffiti's going up about racist and racism and who's a racist and who's not. And um, what do you, how do you define racism? I'd like to hear, please, uh, some of you give me a call, 210 340 9585. And hopefully, if you're kind of biblically informed or someone who at least knows the Lord, loves the Lord, and is trying to follow after the Lord, it would be helpful to kind of get an idea of when you hear this word bandied about and we hear that phrase and that terminology, what are we thinking? Uh, what is a racist? If we call someone else a racist, and uh, on what basis, would, why would I call think of another person as being racist or, or even in my, if I'm evaluating myself? 
uh, am I racist? Uh, what is racism? What is it? What does it mean to be racist? I'd love to get a call from you, 210-340-9585. Now, we're looking to all of this in the context of of our, our reading this past week as we finished up the books of First and Second Chronicles. And we have uh, Ezra here writing about the history of this people group called Israel, how they were taken into exile, and now as um, several four to six, four or six thousand people have made their way back to Israel, and Ezra now has brought together a selected history from the history of Israel, and he's picked it out specifically because it reminds them of who they are as a people group. Uh, who they are as a people group, and, and uh, reminding them on the positive side of the the positive side of their legacy, their heritage of faith, who uh, that they are a people of of God, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God, the Creator, and that what it means to follow after that God, uh, obey His laws, His commands, and and to experience God in their lives, and how. How they treat each other, how they treat people around them, uh, other people groups and people people or travelers that they meet and so on. So uh, it is relevant. Uh, it's part of the story of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, is there's a people group that God chooses, and he reveals himself to them. He works with them. They then share that life and that truth with others, some of them from their people group, others not. Uh, people that they meet along the road and along the way, and some of them join them in their journey of faith. Some other people join them from other people groups, and uh, they come and join them in worshiping the true and living God. And that essentially is what Israel is all about, uh, th- those who have wrestled with God and won. They they have come to know the true and living God and to worship God, to seek after God, that's the identifying characteristic of this people group called Israel. Uh, they are those who are seeking after the true and living God. Not, and, and I'm saying that's ideally, that's, that, that is at the core of what the people of Israel is about. God chose a people for himself to reveal himself and those that continue to follow him. Now, it wasn't 100% ever. There are always those among in, in the camp of Israel that did not follow after God, that did not obey God, that, that followed after uh, other values and other priorities. But one a characteristic of this people group was that they, they were identified with worship of the one true and living God, the Creator. And so uh, we, we see them, and God is covenanted with them to, to deal with them, to continue to bless them and keep them and preserve them as they follow after him uh, and represent him to the other to the rest of the world that he is going to preserve and bless them and bring through them uh, the messiah himself the redeemer the lamb of god who would take away the sin of the world so there's that's kind of the the whole gospel message is is wrapped up in people it's about god loving the world and bringing about a redemptive plan through the people, through individuals, uh, uh, individual people uh, of the world. So uh, that's what we're talking about tonight. I want I want to throw the topic in there about race and racism because it's really relevant to the times in which we're living as well. Well, 
Now, one of the big characteristics of, of Chronicles, one of the main characters in the book of Chronicles, was a king called Jehoshaphat. And uh, he is one of the great kings. He led a great time of revival, spiritual revival in the land. Jehoshaphat did. Uh, he is, um, they are attacked by the armies of Moab, of Ammon, of Edom. And Jehoshaphat asked the people, what would Jehoshaphat tell the people to do? You know, he, he appointed judges around the, the nation, uh, people who would teach the people, who would judge in their conflicts and their civil uh, disagreements. And he told them that they should not seek to please people, but that they should seek to please God in their judgments. As they took the word of God and the laws of God and applied them even-handedly and, and equally to all the different people, the, this was an example. <laughs> Israel was to be an example of of uh, men and women equal under the law. The law was supreme. This is w- where we get actually that concept in principle, uh, even from uh, from our own nation. A lot of that came from the big biblical influence over Western civilization. Uh, remember the 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 writ that uh, King John had in England uh, about uh, the preeminence of law, that we are men and women equal under the law, uh, that even the king existed under the law. Well, that was a principle from Scripture uh, as well, the law and, and that people are equal under the law. And so Jehoshaphat reminded them that, it, that you should appoint judges that would not seek to please the people, whoever could pay them the most, whoever could give them the most, whoever they liked best, but they, they were to make their judgments based on God's Word and in a, in a way that would please the God of the, the, of the law, the, God's laws. So uh, Jehoshaphat was there, but uh, when Judah was attacked by these armies of Moab and Ammon and Edom, what did Jehoshaphat ask the people to do? That's uh, maybe a good Bible question for you tonight. Can I borrow your pen there, John? Okay, there's a. I want to circle that question so I make sure that people. What is it? What was Jehoshaphat's first impulse to ask the people to do? All right, and you'll find the answer in Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verse three. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, let's see here. And when they did that, uh, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat led Judah's army to the battle. And the victory was won, the not because though the, of their army, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, they they began to fight among each other, and destroyed each other. And so, uh, you know, is whatever whatever instructions Jehoshaphat gave the people, it seemed to work just fine. What did Jehoshaphat call on the people to do when they were attacked by the armies of Moab, Ammon, and Edom? All right. Give me a call if you know the answer to that question. 210-340-9585. Let's see if I can get another question here. There uh, Now, an interesting thing about Jehoshaphat. (laughs) Oh, man, the time flies by. The kings of Judah, in particular, and Israel, remember they became a kingdom divided, and a lot of emphasis was spent 
trying to get them back together again. And Jehoshaphat had a real passion for uniting the country. And he even sacrificed, to some extent, his own son Jehoram, had him marry the son of Ahab and Jezebel, which turned out to be very detrimental to the well-being of Israel and Judah. So uh, we can talk about that a little bit later as we come along as well. But this zeal for unity and oneness led him to make a, a kind of a strategic mistake there with his own son. Well, that's our second segment already gone by. We're going to take another break. Be back in just a few minutes here on The Bible Live. Our phone number is 210-340-9585. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Everything is beautiful in In its its own way. Like a starry summer night or a snow-covered winter's day. All right, we are back. Our final segment. The time has flown by tonight. Uh, Who would you say it was, Ray Stevens? Ray Stevens. Stevens. Everything is beautiful. I thought it was B.J. Thomas. I thought he was the one that did that. But anyway, we are back, folks. Join with us now as we have a final segment. We're talking about the books of First and Second Chronicles. We just finished up reading Second Chronicles, which has a lot to do with people groups and the movements of people, uh, of families uh, moving. It's an amazing time that uh, Chronicles tells us about. Of uh, and it's a time when when the nation uh, Judah in the south almost was destroyed uh, and totally destroyed. God had a plan. For the people of Israel, for for Judah, uh, he had given them King uh, David after the King Saul, then David, then Solomon, and he had a plan. He said that there was going to be a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior, or a, a, a righteous King who would come in the lineage of King David, the Messiah. And so, uh, th- this particular lineage, the lineage of David, was very important uh, as as Ezra is writing this book and reviewing this history. We see how the enemy tried to undermine God's redemptive plan, uh, and, it, and it used this division between Israel, the ten tribes in the north called Israel, and Judah and Benjamin in the south called Judah. Uh, he used that division 
And I, I was telling you that Jehoshaphat, who was a king of Judah in the south, he was a good king, a godly king, loved God, and he tried, was trying very hard to bring about a reunification, a, a peace between uh, the north and the south uh, in, in, in uh, Israel and Judah. And his son, he even, uh, he even allowed his son to marry the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel and uh, Athaliah. And that turned out to be a, a terrible problem, almost disastrous for the people of Israel and for the redemptive plan of God because uh, Je- Jehoram, of course, compromised his own faith as he tried to uh, go along with, with Athaliah. Remember Athaliah, uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, Jezebel was the queen of Phoenicia. She was the daughter of the high priest of Baal. And so Athaliah was under her influence, uh, Jezebel's influence. And so now uh, Athaliah had one of her daughters uh, uh, married to Jehoram king of Judah. And so uh, what was happening here was Athaliah, uh, they were maneuvering to to unify the kingdom, but in the wrong way. They were moving away from God. And so remember that's when Jehu came along. Jehu came along and killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram. So Athaliah killed Ahaziah's children, her own grandchildren. Athaliah killed her own grandchildren uh, all but one, uh, so that she could become the queen of Judah for six years, Athaliah. And this was disastrous. They, she killed all of her own grandchildren except one child. And uh, maybe I could ask that question. Does anyone out there know what was the name of the one son of Ahaziah that survived? There was one child left in the lineage of David that could become the king. If they had killed him, there would be no no one left in the lineage of David to have become king. Uh, and you, that would have been disastrous for God's uh, prediction, for God's plan to bring a Messiah through the lineage of David. You can see what was going on here. It was it was far bigger than just uh, who's going to be on the throne, who's going to be powerful. The, the the redemptive plan of God was here at stake. Uh, if they had killed off that last child. And do you know the name of that last child? He, his life was saved. And believe it or not, and again, we're going back to this idea of race and racism and family and family groups and ethnicities. Uh, who is it that saved that young child's life? Well, believe it or not, it was his own aunt, uh, Jehosheba, Athaliah's daughter. <laughs> Athaliah's daughter uh, uh, the aunt of this young baby was she had married the high priest of Jehoiada, the high priest of Israel, of Judah. And she was the one who saved, believe it or not, all in the same family. Uh, some on different sides of the issue, different sides of this was different sides of God. You know, one, uh, 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 Athaliah was opposing a god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and she represented the god of Baal. They were trying to take over the power uh, over Israel. And uh, this aunt, uh, Jehosheba, she was Athaliah's daughter, she becomes the wife of the high priest 
of, of Israel, Jehoiada, and she is the one that saves this young child's life. How amazing is that? I mean, it's just a remarkable thing. And, and of course, like I say, we're talking about people and people groups and, and you know, racial differences and all. Well, the, the Bible is full of it, of these kinds of relationships. And God works in them and among them. The greatest, the greatest differences among the people, the most important difference is that, uh, and the one that God gives priority to when he says, you know, marry those within the faith. Marry people who have the same, who love me, who, are, who love God, and have that same biblical, uh, uh, God-centered worldview. Have that, the, the same commitment to obey God's laws and to love people and treat people uh, the way God has commanded that that should be a priority in terms of the of our relationships, but we are to treat all men and women as we love ourselves. Uh, John was reminding me, uh, Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter five. They ask him, "What's the greatest commandment?" Uh, is it Matthew five there in that same range? It rings a bell, yeah. Around in that in that area of Matthew's, he says, "What's the greatest commandment?" He said, "You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength." And the second is likened to it, you shouldn't love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, we see the priority of these relationships with God. That is the great division of humanity. It's not a division of race and racism or culture or language. It's, it's a division of the people of God and those uh, and the people who false gods or idols or um, human gods or human dictators and so on. Uh, that's the great division uh, in, in, in the worldviews that we have. Uh, and so uh, we as God's people, though, our priority is to love people, all people, love others as even as we love ourselves. Uh, I, I, I know that part of that is found in Luke 15 where he talks about the parable of the um, this good Samaritan. The, the, we find him loving someone not of his particular people group, but this person loves others and treats them and takes care of them. So we, we, the Bible has a lot to tell us then about race and racism. Anyone want to give me a call real quick and tell me what your view of racism is or what is it to be racist? My own view, after a long time of thinking and wondering and pondering, uh, my own view is that any time we judge people, and when I say judge people, I mean we decide if we're going to give them a job. We decide them if we're going to befriend them. We decide if we're going to uh, rent a house to them. We decide if we're going to ha- we d- we judge people in our own willingness to e- be in a relationship with them at any level, whether it's financial or friendship or 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 in help and aid and so on. If we judge people on the basis of their ethnicity, the color of their skin. Uh, the language they speak, uh, you know, people groups are a natural thing. We all live in a part of certain people groups that we're comfortable with and, and around. Our family and other groups like us that share, we share a cultural heritage or a, a, a common language or common foods or any of those kinds of, maybe even just a, a common career. Maybe we work, we're blue collar, someone is white collar, maybe we're artists, maybe we're actors and actresses, but, and uh, we kind of, but the idea is that we don't judge people on those bases. We don't, uh, it's like uh, Martin Luther King said, we judge people on the content of their character, 
not on the color of their skin, uh, their educational background, or, or, or different uh, or cultural or social uh, characteristics. Those are real, and they can be valued. They have their place and time, each one, and they can be very positive things as well. But we're not to judge people, uh, their worth, uh, on that basis. And, uh, and essentially, the content of the character is most important. So whenever we... When we make a person's skin color or a person's language or something, if if that becomes the basis upon which we judge that individual and we withhold respect or we withhold trust uh, purely on that basis, then I mean we might want to say, "Look, man, Lord, I have a little, I have a little tinge of uh, of racism within me. I'm a little bit of a prejudiced toward people. I have bias about the way I treat people." And of course, all of us have some of that. I mean, we it's a it's part of our human condition, but we can work with it, and we can, if we get a, begin to see people as God sees them, that is the objective, I would say, to see people and love people even as God sees them and loves them. Uh, that, that should be a great, great help to us. And I, I caught a, a glimpse of that uh, at this prayer meeting I was telling you about this last week down at uh, Travis Park. Uh, the uh, huge prayer gathering called together within just actually a, a day or less. Uh, God's people came together, and, and the people who led the prayer time were uh, Hispanic. There were black, black men and women, uh, different backgrounds uh, all together. It, it, prayers in Spanish, prayers in English. <laughs> uh, it, w- it was a wonderful time and a great time for the body of Christ to come together. Uh, I noticed after the prayer time was finished, it didn't. The place just didn't empty out just like that. Uh, the people stayed around, and hugs were going taking place, and people were fellowshipping with maybe a family member or maybe a, a, a fellow church member from another congregation that they hadn't seen in a while. Somebody that I went with my son, and he he saw people from his workplace down there. They would go to different churches, and they got a chance to say hi and and uh, and appreciate each other for being there to pray for our city and for our nation. So that's exactly what God and God's people should be doing in this situation is is praying, uh, asking God to deliver us, to give us strength, to give us love, and to deliver us from temptation and evil, but uh, to guide us into his light. You know, that uh, I like that phrase, salty salt and enlightening light. That's that's what this is our chance to shine. Uh, men and women of faith, those of us who know the Lord and love the Lord and His Word, this is our chance to love others and to be different uh, and to let our light shine for the glory of our King and for the glory of the Lord and for the good of people. There are lots of people who are looking for that kind of love, for that kind of hope. Uh, This is our chance to model it uh, before them. And we'll see God do the same kinds of things that He does redemptively, even in the times of the Bible here, with Athaliah and, and Jehu and all these people. We'll see God do great miracles and raise up leaders that will, will protect us and will honor God and will, will be good leaders, righteous leadership. Uh, that we can see God, we can ask God to, for that, and we can see God answer our prayers in, on, uh, in that way. Well, we go through these kings. You get uh, Jehoiada after Jehoiada died, then King Amaziah, Joash. Joash was the name of that young baby that was saved, seven-year-old child. He was saved from the slaughter by Athaliah. 
and um, he became the king. Uh, uh, Athaliah was actually put to death, uh, executed, and Joash became the king and following after the Lord. But even he, later on in his years, he sinned against the Lord by worshiping idols. Uh, you know, th- this is the Bible tells it like it is. It's real people in real situations and the real dynamic of relationships taking place. Well, then after Amaziah, the, uh, Amaziah was Joash's son, and uh, his 16-year-old son, Azariah, became the next king of Judah. Now, this king is interesting. Uh, the 16-year-old son, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, he's interesting because his name is spelled differently in different places of Scripture. Azariah, if you read Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And this is that great vision uh, that uh, Isaiah had of his calling to follow after God. Remember that? Uh, Isaiah chapter 6. And I saw the Lord, and his train filled the temple, and there were angels singing, Holy, 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 and and there was smoke filled the temple. And, and, and Isaiah was made aware of his own sin. He said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And and one of the angels in his vision took a, a burning coal and laid it on his lips to purify his lips. And and, and so Isaiah uh, is called to ministry, and, he, and God says, Who will go for us? Who will serve us? Who will, who will go and represent us? And Isaiah says, Here am I, Lord, send me. And a uh, beautiful, beautiful story from Isaiah chapter 6. Well, this was that king, Azariah. It's a different spelling of the word, but that was King Uzziah. He served for 50 years. Isaiah served for 50 years. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Uzziah served for 50 years as king over Judah. And then in the year that King Uzziah died, that's the year that Isaiah is called to the ministry. So it was a great time of sadness and distress for Isaiah. Uh, they had had stability and prosperity under King Uzziah, and now everything was up in the air. Everything was uh, kind of insecure. And he see, has his vision of the Lord. And I, who will go for us? I, here am I, Lord. Send me. So anyway, we, we see Uzziah come, and then uh, King Ahaz, different prophets of God, and different kings come along. Uh, and we see them from one generation to the other. And one of the things we see in the book of, in all the books of history, in the history of Israel, is how quickly things can change how quickly they can go from a nation experiencing God's blessing and experiencing God's goodness and serving God. And within just a generation, just a decade, everything can turn around. And they have ungodly leaders, ungodliness and crime and shame come back into the culture as the people walk away from God. So this is one of the things that we see in Scripture as well, that uh, even for our own nation, there are no guarantees. Each generation, we have to follow after God ourselves. And so it's now time for a new generation of Americans is coming to lead now, coming to the fore in American, and in, 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 uh, the a younger generation is going to be making the decisions about who we are, what kind of people we're going to be, and what kind of land, and what kind of economy, and, and so on. 
and uh, a whole new generation. So we must be in prayer for the young generation of Americans that they would love God and follow after God, trust in God, and, and be be salt and light again for the nation, for the people uh, of our land. So we need to pray for our nation that in that way. And that's, of course, again, what we did this past Wednesday that's part of our prayer time for the hour and a half that we spent in prayer. We we prayed for our nation in that way. So um, let's see if there's anything else. We, we've got... Uh, We've got um, the the king's Jehoshaphat. We saw that great uh, ordeal with Ahaziah, with, with Athaliah, the, the only queen that Israel ever had. We see Jehoiada and his wife, uh, that uh, Jeho- Jehosheba, how that they saved the land. They saved the king, Joash. And then we see Joash on into uh, uh, Azariah, then the... Uh, Amaziah, then Azariah, Uzziah, and then we come to other kings. And again, you just see God dealing with his people as they move forward. Hezekiah comes along. Uh, you've got some from wicked kings, um, and then you have Hezekiah, who a great king, loves God, teaches God's laws, and, and he is attacked by by the uh, Syrians in the north, and, and God survive, God saves them. Uh, and he goes to the Lord in prayer. So Hezekiah, a great king, who led in, in a given moment, he took the people to prayer, and K- King Sennacherib of Assyria was defeated. He was going to attack Jerusalem, but he was defeated, and he was assassinated by his own sons back in his own land. So Hezekiah comes along, then Manasseh comes along, then comes uh, um, Ammon, two wicked kings, you have a great king, and then all of a sudden two wicked kings. Doesn't seem to be any really rhyme or, or, or order to this thing. And then comes along this young king, Josiah, an eight-year-old boy placed on the throne of Judah. And Josiah loves God and serves God, and it's he who finds the book of the law of Moses. He finds the, the law of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, and he reads it. Then he reads it to the people and it and it strikes his heart and causes him to seek revival and to restore the relationship with God with the people and it leads the people to a great time of revival across the land and then and then uh Josiah is killed in battle by uh Necho of Egypt in the great battle in 605 BC uh he is killed as king Necho of Egypt is going north uh king Josiah runs out to meet him and is killed in that battle, and um, well, it's just on and on. This is the history that that Ezra delivers to the people of Israel, uh, leading up then to when uh, to when Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar invaded and uh, destroyed Jerusalem and took the people into exile, and that's what we have in Chronicles: a time to remember who we are, a time to remember our history, a time to remember God's faithfulness to us and God's calling and purpose for for the people of Israel in the land as he returned them to Israel. Now, we, we have an opportunity right now with a new generation coming up in America. It's time for us to review our history, to remember who we are as, as Americans, how we have experienced the favor and the blessing and the protection of God himself and how God has used our, our nation uh, in a tremendous way. 
to bring blessing to the world, in fact, the entire world, to help overcome uh, 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 I'm, I'm trying to say Nazism and, 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 and Japanese imperialism. Uh, God has used America to deliver the civilized world from great dictators. And, and uh, we have a great, proud history. Yes, there have been mistakes, and one of our challenges all the way through is that we are a nation of many different people groups. Well, I've been to England, all over Europe, all the countries of Europe, into Moscow and Russia and Kazakhstan and Ukraine and Mon- Mongolia and China. There's not a nation like America. We are many people groups, many different skin colors, many different languages. In, our, in this land, and we are very unique in that way. We've had a unique challenge, but only a nation with the power of the gospel at work within it have we been able to survive. God has really blessed us, and I pray and hope that our new generation of Americans will depend on God and His Word, will trust in God, and experience that same blessing and the same power of God as you move forward. See you next Back week, folks. Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.